Welcome to the People Teaching People podcast. My name is Tiana Fesh. I'm a mom of three, an educator, a course development consultant, and a lifelong learner. Teaching and learning can take place anytime, anywhere, and in a multitude of ways. The range of knowledge and skills to teach and to learn about are truly limitless. But at the heart of all teaching and learning experiences are the people. The People Teaching People podcast is the place to talk about the who, what, when, where, why, and how of teaching and learning in a world where there is always more to discover. Education plays an important and integral role in all facets of our lives. How we work, do business, live, play, explore, and build relationships. Let's talk teaching and learning together. Welcome to the People Teaching People podcast. Joining me on the podcast is Trish Tutton. Trish is a speaker and mindfulness teacher who has taught mindfulness to thousands of people across North America for the last decade. She is deeply passionate about empowering people to meet the challenges of their life with more peace and presence, to use the practice of mindfulness to reduce stress and anxiety, and create individual and team resilience. You can find her as a teacher on the number one free meditation app in the world, Insight Timer, and she is the author of the Mindful Mornings Journal. Trish is on a mission to help you be calmer, happier, and more effective. Are mindfulness and meditation a part of your life? Are they something you've thought about or are curious about? Trish will make you feel inspired to learn more and maybe even just give it a try. She tells great stories, has the best analogies, and beautifully articulates the benefits of pressing pause and taking time to focus on our breaths. Thank you so much for joining me today, Trish. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm really excited. I'm excited too. And I wanted to start off by learning more about you and your story. So I've done some researching and investigating and you shared some things with me, but I'd love to know how did you sort of come to be a speaker and mindfulness teacher? Yeah. So, you know, I I don't know if you have something that just when you found out about it, it just like sparks something in you or you feel like magnetized towards something or you feel like, you know, your heart is just like calling you to do. So that basically happened to me when I first tried yoga. Uh, I was in university and I was going through the stresses of, you know, the university life, which is exams and papers and relationships and situationships and friends and roommates and family, you know, just the basic stresses of life, really. And I was also doing a lot of sitting, sitting in lectures and sitting, writing essays. And I just thought, okay, I need to move my body. I know that this, you know, this will not only help me physically, but also maybe it'll help me with some of my mental stress too. And I was drawn toward yoga mostly because I had heard not only is it good for you as exercise, but it does also have this kind of mental piece to it where you're addressing mental stress. So I thought, okay, great. I'll give it a go. And so I tried a couple of yoga classes and I remember feeling a little bit like these are kind of weird. Sometimes the teachers are saying weird things and it's like a little woo woo. But at the same time, I just was feeling like there was something pulling me to be there week after week. Something kept calling me back. Um, And maybe your listeners, you know, as I'm saying this, maybe they're thinking of whatever it is for them, you know, the thing that they're passionate about or they love. It's like that. And so I graduated university and yoga was still calling my name. And so I took a yoga teacher training course. And at the time, my career was really on a trajectory of working in not-for-profit events events management. I'd worked on some massive, massive events, really quite stressful work, if I'm honest. And I found that my yoga practice and what I then started to learn was this mindfulness piece, which is the mental part, uh, was really helping me manage a lot of the stress that I was dealing with, not only at work, but also in life. And I also, as I kind of continued along my career path, was noticing that folks around me 
were also really stressed out. And a lot of people weren't necessarily having that stress managed as well as maybe I was doing it. I was seeing actually a lot of suffering around me as I had a couple of different jobs in a couple of different locations and different organizations. But this pattern was the same. People overworking and burnt out and stressed out and reactive and irritated. And it was, it seemed to me like this kind of crisis actually in the workplace. And, you know, if I'm honest, yes, I was managing my stress perhaps better than some other people, but I was still struggling too. I would still find myself just caught up in mental stress. Like one thing would happen to me in the morning at work that was stressful, but it would only maybe last a half an hour. But my mind, I would get like lost in thought about it and I would keep ruminating over it in my mind and turning it over and stressing and then not sleeping and then being reactive with my partner and then being exhausted because of all this mental stress. And, um, I just was really noticing this kind of stress in our society and in my life and in, you know, people I love's lives and people I worked with. And it kind of came to a clarifying moment for me um, about 10 years ago when um, we lost my mom really suddenly actually to breast cancer. Um, and that was a really clarifying moment for me where I realized that I was living a lot of my life in my head, kind of almost like addicted to stress. And, you know, stress was having a really negative impact on a lot of my life because as much as I was practicing these things, I wasn't always mentally present. I was rarely mentally present, actually. I was caught up in my mind. And um, experiencing that really sudden loss, my mom was really young. She was 55. It was like this moment of clarity, like, okay, I might not get a really long life like I maybe assumed. I never even had thought about it clearly, but it was only in that moment that I realized, wow, I really assumed that we're all going to be here for a really long time. And clearly that's not necessarily true. So if I don't have maybe a lot of control over the quantity of my life, maybe I have more control over the quality. And I realized that this practice of yoga and mindfulness and meditation, it was enhancing the quality of my life, but I was really in that moment encouraged to dive in a lot deeper to my own practice. And then this inspiration to share this stuff with other people so that we don't have to suffer through life. That life is actually really, really beautiful when we're not all caught up in this mental stress. And so um, I started putting together programs. I mean, it started small. It started, I like to say I'm an accidental entrepreneur. Like I just was like, okay, I'm gonna create some programs. I'm gonna speak at some conferences. I live in Banff National Park. Lots of people bring their conferences here. I've got like people right here. I started doing that. And then folks wanted me to come into their workplace and teach their employees this stuff. And and yeah, fast forward like seven years from my first talk, here I am. That is quite the story. <laughs> and isn't it so funny how oftentimes in hindsight, you know, it, it almost seems like something happens accidentally, but when you kind of yeah. look at the lead up and all the pieces of yeah. the puzzle leading up to it, um, yeah. there's sort of all those nudges and little moments along the way that are sort of guiding you in that particular direction. And I'm so yeah. sorry about the loss of your mom. Thank That's, you. Thank you. That's so tough. And it, it is sometimes in those really tough, difficult times that they mm -hmm. not really force us to, but they, you know, prompt us to pause and reflect and think yeah. about like what's really important and what's going yes. on for me. And yes. that's um, an amazing thing that uh, that was a big part of sort of guiding that direction and journey that you've taken. For sure. So teaching is a big part of what you do. And uh, there's a quote by Robert Heinlein that I love, and it's when one teaches to learn. So mm -hmm. I'm curious, mm -hmm. what have you learned through teaching corporate and personal mindfulness strategies? Yeah. Okay. So that is so true. I love that. I have never heard that quote. Um, and I learn from students all the time. I learn from my clients all the time. And I think one of the biggest things that I have learned is just how, <laughs> how tightly gripped our society and our culture is 
on this like this idea that the only way to get to a place of success, and I put it in air quotes for anyone who's just listening, because what is success, right? We all need to define it for ourselves. This, yeah, chokehold our culture has on our definition of success of we're only able to get there when we're stressed out, of stress leading us to success. And I think that It's just so prevalent. I see it all the time because really what I'm inviting people to do when I'm inviting them to practice mindfulness, to practice meditation, it's exactly what you said, these moments that make you pause and ask yourself, wow, what's really important to me? What really matters? I'm inviting them to pause, to stop what they're doing. And that, you'd be fascinated to see the kind of resistance that comes up in people. No, I can't. I'm too busy. I can't do that. I have too much to do. I have no time. I have too much on the go and not enough time to do it. And I'm too busy and I don't have time and I'm so busy. (laughs) And, you know, I, I giggle about it because I know what that's like too, to live in that place. But it's really, truly not funny because where does that get us? Where does that belief get us? Well, we see. Right now, we see burnout is one of the biggest things that my clients come to me with. Burnout. Do we think that people who are so stressed that they're not caring for their mind, their body, their heart, do we think that they're aligned on a daily basis with what really matters to them? I don't think so. I don't think so. When I've experienced burnout, I wasn't aligned with what really matters to me. So I think that is the biggest thing I've learned is just how much what I teach really goes a little bit against our cultural norms and yeah, how indoctrinated we almost are in this belief that, well, if I want to be successful, stress is the way. I see it in fellow entrepreneurs that I know. I see it in the corporate world, the not-for-profit world. I see it in my loved ones too. So that is um, really a big learning and also a little little bit of a hurdle too <laughs> to teaching what I teach. Don't worry, just slow down. Everything will be okay. <laughs> just take a break. Just pause. Yeah, you fine. Yeah. But it, like, <laughs> oh my gosh, how did I do that? And it, but yeah. it is so true. And it, when you were talking, it really made me think about the question we all ask each other, which is, "How are you doing?" And the answer, so busy, so busy. <laughs> and then you lift off, list off all the things that you're doing, and it's almost like. You almost don't want to, you know, if you were to say, have a quieter day, like, do you want to say, well, I just sat, you know, around and. And why don't we want to say that? Because I feel guilty because there's this under, you know, subconscious, unconscious belief that to rest is lazy. Well, you're not productive. And that, again, another belief that our, our worthiness lies in our productivity, right? It's really interesting. It is really interesting. And I think it's so important, as you said, to take those pauses. I think there's so much value that can come from those pauses. And I know it's something that I struggle with in a huge way. And um, I'm not passionate about yoga as you are, but I have enjoyed yoga um, very much. But I have to tell you, um, and maybe it would be different now because I was doing it more when the kids were younger and Mm -hmm. just... Uh, We have three children. They're now 16, 14, and 11. But when they're crazy, it's all consuming. And then at the (laughs) end of, you know, uh, a yoga class when you're doing Shavasana, I struggled Mm -hmm. laying there doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, that was for me, the most difficult part of the class, the just trying to be still. Totally. And it is partially how we frame it, right? It's like you said, well, I'm doing nothing. Or if I have a day where I'm not, doing anything. Well, what did you do? I did nothing. We can also reframe our language, right? It's like, I rested. I've refueled myself. I restored myself. I gave myself an opportunity to rest. It's even in our language. And you're not the only one who says that, right? It's like, oh, well, Shavasana is doing nothing. Well, is it? I don't know. (laughs) Or is it resting? Exactly. And I think, yeah. yeah, But it's hard for a lot of people. It's so hard. hard. Yeah. An area of growth for me, for sure. (laughs) 
And life, it can just get so busy and overwhelming and all-consuming. And uh, I know you talk about meditation being an important part of really supporting people in this crazy modern life that we mm-hmm. lead. So why is it such an important, can it be such an important tool and piece of all the busy that we're experiencing? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, meditation is like, I mean, whatever you want to call it, you can call it meditation, you can call it mind training, brain training, being more in the present moment, whatever you want to call it. It's exercise for your mind. And what are we trying to exercise? What skill are we trying to get better at? Just like if we exercise, you know, our biceps, we're getting better bicep strength. When we exercise our mind in this way, we are practicing having our mind more in the present moment, which really, for a lot of us, actually, a Harvard study said that 47% of the time, on average, our minds are not in the present moment. So where are they? (laughs) Right? We're like, well, I'm here. I'm in the present moment. But our minds can be somewhere completely else. They can be Your mind could be, you know, right now listening to this podcast, you could be thinking about something that happened to you 10 years ago and you could be turning it over and over in your mind and thinking, why did that happen? Why, why did they say this? And why didn't I say that? And why didn't I make a different choice? And if I had made that choice, what would have happened? And right, all this thought consuming us and we're missing missing the podcast if that's what's happening, or maybe you're spending time with your kids, you're missing that moment with them, or maybe you're eating, you're missing enjoying the flavor of whatever you're eating, or or someone else is talking to you and you're totally missing what they're saying. Really, you could put it really simply, you're kind of missing your life when you do that. Or your mind is in the future. This is what I see a lot with people. This is what I experience too. I, As I said, I began my career as an event planner. So planner by nature, my mind wants to go forward. (laughs) It's like, what's happening tomorrow? What's next? That's like my favorite question that I ask my husband all the time. So what's next? (laughs) So you can tell the direction my mind wants to go in. But often what happens is two thirds of the time that our mind is wandering, whether it's going past or future, it's thinking about something negative, right? It's thinking about why didn't something happen the way I wanted it to? Or what's going to happen in the future? What will be the state of my finances, my family, my health, my career? And often we're thinking about what we're going to do if things don't go well, if the worst case case scenario plays out. And everything we experience, we experience life through the lens of our mind, right? Everything we experience has to go through our mind, through our perception, through our specific biography, the life we've lived, our biology, and we interpret it a certain way. So if 47% of the time on average, we're not even present in our lives and we're thinking about things that are creating negativity and pessimism and stress and overwhelm, like, let's be real. We already live in a world (laughs) that it's stressful no matter what, right? It's stressful no matter what, but it's almost like our brain with this habit of mind wandering cranks up the volume on all the negative stuff. And so that's all we hear. That's all we pay attention to. And then what what comes of that is we get, you know, this population of people who are pessimistic and negative and stuck in stress and, and, you know, gripped by anxiety and on this steady path to burnout, unhappiness, unfulfillment in their life. So the power of meditation is to say, okay, we live in a world that already has enough stress. Let's train our mind to not crank up the volume on all of that to be able to experience our life almost like in little snapshots, like here I am, little snapshot, guesting on the podcast. Are stressful things going to happen later today? Maybe, maybe not in equal value. I don't know. But if I can mentally be more here instead of there, wondering, worrying, what if thing my life away, I can actually be present for my life. And I can maybe lessen the chances that I'll get to the end, which who knows when that is. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's next week. Maybe it's 60 years from now. I don't know. Maybe that will increase the chances that I'll get to the end of my life, having lived my life more intentionally, more on purpose, with more ease, less stress, more fulfillment. Instead of, man, get to the end of my life. I wasn't even present for any of that. I was worrying it all away. 
Yeah, and that is the connection where we practice meditation. That's what it gets us. That all sounds very amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't more people meditate? Actually, lots of people do meditate. <laughs> so then I guess I'm curious, what does what can meditation look like? Because I think mm-hmm. it can seem a little bit intimidating. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe people have misconceptions about what yes. meditation or effective meditation can yes. look like. Can you yes. give us sort of a sense of um, what that might be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, a lot of people, there's this, um, it's been said before that meditation has bad Whoever is doing the PR for meditation is not doing a great job (laughs) because they're sending out this idea. A lot of people have this idea. You know, people will say to me all the time, oh, I've tried meditation before, but I can't shut my mind off. I can't shut my mind off. I can't clear my mind. And I say, that's correct because you're alive. (laughs) And that's a good thing. And if you told me you could shut your mind off, you're dead. So let's not rush toward that goal anytime soon. So this is a big misconception I find people have is that it's this state of shutting your mind off, which is impossible, impossible to do. I've been practicing for over a decade. My teachers have been practicing for longer than that. None of us can shut our minds off. That's not the goal. I uh, was a student for a long time of theater. And so I'm going to give you a little analogy here that is related to a theater. And even if you haven't acted on stage, maybe you've seen a a play before, maybe you've seen live theater, some of your listeners. You know, when you're watching a live theater show and there's the main character who's taking center stage, they call it um, down down center because a a stage used to be like this, right? Center of the stage, front where where all the guests were were here. They're down stage and they're center. They're taking all of the attention. Yet, In a show, in a scene, maybe there's a main character down center taking all that attention, but there's still people in the background. Or even if there isn't people in the background, there's like sets in the background or props in the background. Your goal in a meditation is not to clear your mind or shut your mind off or get rid of all those thoughts. Your thoughts will start to become like the background characters, like the scenery, like the props, where there's a thought that says, oh my gosh, what's going to happen tomorrow? I have that big presentation. What if I fail? It's in front of my boss. What if they hate it? What if I get fired? You don't need to shut that thought off. And in fact, the more you try to push it away, what we resist persists, a famous quote. The more you try to push it away, the more that thought's going to be like, no, I'm here. (laughs) And it's going to take center stage. So you just want to let your thoughts kind of fade into the background where they're still there, but you're not giving them all your attention. What you're giving all your attention to, and there's different types of meditation, but in the type that I teach, mindfulness meditation, which is really the most scientifically kind of studied and and, um, sound practice that we have, you're giving all of your attention mostly in that practice to your breath. Why your breath? Well, it's always with you. It's a really easy tool. You don't need to go looking for it or find it. You can't leave it somewhere and and walk away from it. It's always here. And the breath exists in the present moment, right? Even right now, listeners can just notice that there's a breath coming in, a breath coming out. And when you pay attention to that, your mind is right in the present moment. So your breath takes center stage and you focus on that center stage moment. And then maybe your mind drifts to one of the background characters. Maybe you start to think a thought, oh, whatever, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow? Or, oh, remember that thought from yesterday afternoon? And then you bring your attention back to that main character of the breath, helping your mind be firmly rooted in the present moment. That's a great analogy. I love it. And then it's practice, right? Yeah. I think this is what people miss out on too. They go, oh, I've tried meditation. doesn't work for me. And I go, how many times did you try it out of curiosity? Oh, just like once or twice. Okay. Well, if I was a personal trainer and, uh, and you went to the gym once or twice and came back to me and said it didn't work for me, <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> it takes time. It takes practice. That makes so much sense. And I appreciate the analogy so much. I just, I find stories and analogies and that make things come to life so well. And I can very much picture what it, um, what it is, uh, is your approach when it comes to mindful meditation and really helping people, um, take those pauses in a way that's going to be effective and meaningful with practice, of course. 
Yeah, exactly. Over time. (laughs) Over time. So sometimes, once in a while, people can be a little resistant to learning something new or changing things. Change is tough, right? So what are some of the biggest barriers you feel people have to learning meditation? And what are some things that you can suggest or do to help them? Yeah, I'll actually, you know, my answer will go back to that one thing I was saying around what I've learned is the barrier of I don't have enough time. I'm too busy, right? And there's two things about that that I think, uh, two ways that I usually help people work through that. So first is that it doesn't have to take a long time. I teach a, what I call my modern meditation course. I teach it a couple times a year. It's totally virtual. And over a weekend, um, the way I frame it up is over a weekend, you'll learn how to meditate on your own. You don't need an app. You don't need to pay a hundred. a year for the rest of your life to have that app. You don't need a recording. You don't need to be like, oh, I want to meditate, but shoot, that recording, it's not working. I don't have it. It's on my computer. I just got a new one. All those barriers slip away when you know how to do this practice on your own, anywhere, anytime. And when I teach that course, of course, I'm, you know, teaching ideas and I'm educating them about why and how. And, but when we practice meditations in that course, we never practice for more than a couple minutes at a time. And this is because actually, well, it's twofold. A, people live busy lives. That is a real a real challenge. And I, I acknowledge that and I experience that in my life. So people don't have a lot of time. B, what we know about creating a new habit, any new habit, doesn't even have to be meditation in your life. The best way to create a habit over time and make it sustainable and enduring is to start very, very small. So if you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, I have to meditate for 10 minutes today. I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. And then by the time you know it, you're in bed and you haven't done it. If you tell yourself, I'm going to meditate for one minute today, there's not a lot of people, I think, who can say, I don't have time for one minute. <laughs> how many, how long have we scrolled on social media today? How much Netflix have we watched? How much time have we wasted thinking and catastrophizing about the future in our mind, right? We can surely take one minute. So that's one way. Um, and then the second goes back to this kind of cultural piece, this like, you call it the hustle culture, right? Like, oh, I have to be stressed and that's how I get to success. And this mindset, actually, the thought that we have that says, I have too much to do and not enough time to do it in, this thought pattern has actually been studied. This is fascinating when people find this out. They go, no, 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 my life, I have too much to do and I don't have enough time to do it. That's me and my life. And then I teach them about this concept that has been studied called time famine. Time famine was a a term, is a term that was coined way back in the 90s. And it is the term for this feeling, this internal anxious stress feeling of too much to do and not enough time. And what it's actually caused by has nothing to do with the length of your to-do list and the amount of time left in your day. And it has everything to do with your thoughts. Every time you think this thought, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, it's like you're revving your engine. You're gaining momentum in your life and you're going faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And you will continue to feel that way if you keep along that, that train of thought. The solution that they have found to time famine where we can feel what's called time affluence. You're rich with time. You're wealthy with time. The only remedy for getting there is slowing down. That's it. We have to slow down. So I often tell folks, if you're stuck in that time famine, you know, um, that time famine mindset, it's been actually proven that the only remedy is to slow down. So why don't you try it? Because <laughs> how has what you're doing been working? Is that working? Do you feel like you're going, you feel like the more, the faster you go, the more you get done? No, you feel like you're going faster than ever. So give it a shot. Slow down for just one minute. Humor me and try it. And I often also say to people, you know, don't take it from me. Like I'm telling you what I've experienced and what millions of people have experienced through meditation, but try it yourself and see, test it out. And sometimes it's just that, right? You can hear people say it and talk about it and share it, but until you actually do it and give it Mm -hmm. a try, um, you don't really know. 
So it's so important to uh, give it a go. I love that. Mm So along with some of the barriers, what are some of the biggest misconceptions? You've mentioned a few, um, but if there's anything else about meditation and kind of the truths around it, in your Mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah, the clearing the mind is definitely the biggest one. I guess I could just add on to that because I would say that's the biggest misconception that, that there's some there's some point in which meditation will lead to a clearing of your mind or a shutting down of your thoughts. What does start to happen, which is desirable for many people, is we start to experience more space between thoughts. So when people start meditating, they often find it's like thought, thought, thought. Okay, come back to the breath. Take half a breath. Thought, thought, half a breath. Thought, thought. And it's, again, there's that momentum that we've built in our life. I mean, our minds, for many of us, we're like, they're like a Mack truck going down the highway, right? And you cannot just stop a Mack truck, right? If it needs to stop, it has to slow down first. It has to start to pump the brakes and it takes a good long distance for it to finally stop. So over time, what can happen as we meditate? We never shut the mind down completely. We never stop thoughts or clear the mind, but we can start to get more space. So then the experience might be something like, okay, I sit, I focus on my breath, and maybe I can take two full breaths where all I'm doing is focusing on my breath. Ooh, it feels so peaceful. It feels so spacious. And then, oh, there's a thought. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I know. I got to do the laundry later. But right now, we'll do that later. But right now, (laughs) right now I'm meditating. So I'm going to come back to my breath. And then maybe I get a chain of three breaths where I'm just focused on my breath. And it kind of feels like, you know, it's so hard. It's like, how would you describe what an orange tastes to somebody who's never eaten an orange? It's pretty impossible. So it's kind of impossible for me to put these things into words. But it feels similar to like if you've had, I I live in the mountains. I live in Banff. So go skiing. It's kind of like if you have a really big ski day and your body's exhausted and then you get into a hot tub and you like take your first sip of wine or something. It's like that. It's like there's just a moment of stillness. And maybe it's three breaths of stillness. And then there's another thought. Oh yeah, I've got that thing. Oh yeah, I have that conversation, that meeting tomorrow. I'm kind of worried about it. How's it going to go? No, no, no. Come back to the breath. And then you get another maybe two or three breaths. It's like rest for your mind. It really is restorative for the mind. People say to me all the time, I can't sleep. I can't shut my mind off. It's like, yeah, because you don't practice finding that state of mental stillness, even just for a moment, a moment. So, yeah, I would say that, though, that that is the biggest, the biggest thing is I can't clear my mind. (laughs) So something people can work on without being in the beauty of the mountains in Bam. Mm -hmm. You're so lucky. Such a beautiful place to live. (laughs) They're, They're close for me, but I'm not in the midst of them. I can see the mountains from my bedroom window. So see, maybe that would, I could... Nice. Not quite be like beside them as you are, but I could be looking at them and practicing <laughs> taking my breaths and thinking about the yes. things that you're saying. So uh, you've talked about your own experiences with teaching and learning and in working with the people that you support. Um, yeah. Who would be one of your favorite teachers or what's a favorite mm-hmm. learning experience that you've had and why does that person or experience stand out for you? You know, The biggest thing that comes to mind for me, which is actually, it just makes me laugh because it doesn't really sound like it would be the best. You know, you might think, oh, she's going to talk about being on retreat somewhere and maybe she went somewhere beautiful. Maybe she went to Costa Rica and did a, but I will tell you that the most impactful experiences I've had as a student lately actually have been in the room that I'm currently in, which is my office slash my own practice space, and were virtual classes that I did during the pandemic with a teacher from Calgary named Stephanie Nosco. She is a brilliant yin yoga teacher and meditation teacher. She teaches Qigong too, which is, um, I've tried it. It's not really It's just not my thing. You know, not everything's for everybody. I much more prefer the yoga classes and the meditation, but I think what was so profound about it was this realization for me that 
truly this stuff, yoga, meditation, mindfulness, it really is an experience you have within you. And it's not about where you are. It's not about being in some beautiful, blissful, peaceful beach, jungle, mountains. Oh, I need a retreat. I need a... Because actually what we all know is like many people have gone on vacation. They've tried to escape their problems. And guess what? They lay down in bed that night thousands of kilometers from where they think their problems are. But guess what? Their problems are here <laughs> in their mind. Not meaning they're making them up, but if they're dwelling on them in their mind, you can travel across the world and you're still going to be plagued by them. So I think what was so impactful was just that and, and that it was such a tough time um, for everybody. It was a tough time for me mentally and emotionally going through, you know, the height of the pandemic. And just to know that through her guidance and through my own dedication to the practice, I could achieve these states of calm, these states of optimism and hope just here in my little silly office practice space, receiving instruction through Zoom. <laughs> I mean, it sounds less than ideal. And I know a lot of students were like, "Ugh, I can't do that. And I'm so glad I stuck with it because it reminded me that the practice is not about being in a, a beautiful studio or any, it has nothing to do with the actual circumstances and conditions. And it has everything to do with how you're training your mind and how you're showing up. That makes a lot of sense. Although I was in Costa Rica this past summer and I would like to go back. <laughs> and it's beautiful too. And I'm sure it's amazing. Yeah, but you're right. You're right. It's, it's about finding those ways to incorporate these strategies in your day-to-day. -day. And yeah. it's so true. As you yeah. said, you can travel across the world and, you know, it's like traveling with children. You think... <laughs> We're going to be going on this glorious trip, but there's still moments, there's still hiccups, there's still all the things because it's still life. Yeah. Is it, yeah, you know, more a, beautiful? A great, <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, there's a great book. Uh, it's yeah. a mindfulness book and it's called Wherever You Go, There You Are. And it's yeah. like, yeah, this is for the people who are like, I need to move to a new city and then I'll be happy. And then I, you know, it's like, yeah, but you'll still be the same you. So it's if you don't work on same. that, the stuff in your mind, nothing's really going to change. No, it's just, it's same, 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 same. Just yeah. cuter, cuter monkeys and sloths <laughs> and beautiful beaches. No, it was, it's so much fun. But yes, yeah, still, still an adventure for sure. Yeah. So when you look back on your journey, which is so interesting, I've really enjoyed getting to know you and your story. What is something that you're most proud of? Oh, what am I most proud of? You know, I think it's something that I continue to hone and it is something that um, I know the mindfulness practices that I do help me with. Um, but just like listening to my gut. And it even goes back to... It goes back to what brought me to Banff. I mean, I grew up in the on the eastern side of the country near Toronto and... Um, you know, I just, it's kind of like the, the story with yoga that it was just like something, something's telling me to keep doing this. Something inside of me is saying, keep coming back to that class. And then something inside of me was saying, I think you need to go out West. And then something, you know, it's just, there's all these little, I think, messages and tugs we sometimes get either, you know, you could say they're from your heart or they're in your, your gut telling you or, but I just, yeah, feel proud for kind of following that. And I mean, there's been times where I've ignored it and sometimes to my detriment and my regret. So it does, it is a continuous process of knowing like, yeah, what is, what, what is that inner wisdom telling me? Which direction do I go in next? And what choice do I make? And I think I'm, I'm slowly, as I now creep toward 40, I'm like starting to get better at that, at knowing like, what is my gut telling me or whatever, call it your intuition, call it whatever, right? And just following that for the most part and, and learning too, when I didn't follow it, oh yeah, no, I actually knew that. I knew that. <laughs> I just didn't act on it. Maybe because I was fearful or maybe worried about what other people would think. And that's all totally human too. Um, but yeah, I think it's that just, just recognizing those little things. Like you were saying at the beginning, you know, you look back, I could look back at my journey and be like, oh, that all makes sense. But when you're in it, 
It doesn't always make sense. And there are things in my life right now that I'm like, this doesn't make sense. What? Why is this happening? I don't get it. And there's also, you know, a, a piece of like, okay, and I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust that this is all going to make sense one day <laughs> and keep following these little messages and pulls and tugs from my own, my own inner wisdom and my own heart, my own intuition. It is interesting looking back um, and recognizing those little nudges or things that are happening. Mm -hmm. um, but, and I love how you said you're approaching your 40s. I, so I'm 44. <laughs> And it's love so, it. I love it. It's a it's a good age. But I remember I have a friend who's just a little bit older than I am, and she talked about this thing called the Effort Forties, and I, okay. I I didn't quite get it till I was there. <laughs> but it is a little bit more. I don't know. There's it, it something about turning forty, and yeah. those little nudges and stuff. I would just paid attention to them a little bit more, and if. There was a relationship in my life that was just not feeling good anymore. I just, it felt a little bit easier just to let it go. Or if there was, yeah. um, you know, something that maybe in the past I felt like I should do. Right. Then it was a little bit easier I found in my 40s to say, no, actually, that's not for me. So I'd be yeah. curious to touch base with you in the next little bit yes. and see if even mo <laughs> more so that shifts for you. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it will. And I hope it will. Yeah. Um, I, I love that idea. Yeah. It just, it sounds to me as I hear you say that it's just more of a prioritization of like, what matters to me? Uh, who cares what this person is going to think about me? Who cares what my neighbor is going to think about my choices? <laughs> like, because the person who I have to, again, the person who's with me when I lay in bed at night and think about all the choices I made and the actions I took is me. And again, you know, even thinking long-term, it's like when I get to the end, I want to be, I want to be mostly happy with my own decisions. You know what I mean? Instead of like, oh man, why did I do that? Just to, just because that's what my parents wanted me to do, or that's what society wanted me to do, or. Yeah, living a life true and intentional to you. Absolutely. Or as my friend Chelsea says, the effort forties. Yes. <laughs> a, I little, love it. a little a less a little less less Just eloquent. Effort. <laughs> Just effort. <laughs> um, so I have a few rapid fire questions for you. What mm -hmm. is something that you would love to learn or to learn about? This is interesting because it's just, I literally was just talking about my, uh, to my husband about this the other day. We have watched a series of movies lately. We watched Coda, which if you haven't seen Coda, one best picture, incredible, Children of Deaf Adults. And then we watched, and I can't remember what this one was called, but it was a, a guy who was a drummer and he had like spontaneous hearing loss. And then I was watching this other show where there was a character in it who was deaf. And so they had a, they were doing a lot of sign language and there was, they were watching a play and there was an interpreter and I really want to learn sign language. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know anybody. My husband actually has struggled with some tinnitus and like a little bit of hearing loss. So maybe who knows, maybe that's in the background of my mind, but I don't know. There's something I just love about it. And I've been following this uh, woman on Instagram lately, and she does these little quick videos teaching you things. So I now know, know how to say thank you. So in, for anyone who's watching the video, it's thank you. <laughs> I love that. That's a great, that would be a great thing to learn. Very I think, you know what yeah. it is now that I think about it? I talk with my hands anyway, so maybe I just want to do it more. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. No, that would be fantastic. And I think, and so, you know, important. You think about how many of us don't know how to. Right. Right. Yeah. And how tricky that would be for somebody who, yeah, has difficulty hearing. Mm -hmm. And it's just funny because even as I'm talking, I'm thinking, you know, Trisha, you literally just said like that you listen to your gut and you listen to your wisdom and there are things that pull you. And right now this is what's pulling me. And it's like, I don't know why. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe someone in my future needs me to know ASL. So. There you go. Don't know. I love that. Yeah. What is a place that is at the top of your travel bucket list? Right now it's Greece. I really want to go to Greece. I don't know why. It's I mean, I love tzatziki beautiful. sauce, but yeah, I want to go there. <laughs> it is beautiful. It is beautiful. What is a book, podcast, movie, or TV show that you 
have enjoyed recently? You've mentioned a few. Yeah. Is there um, a few movies? Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Well, I am a diehard fan of this one podcast, so I just have to say that. And then I'll also share a, uh, an episode that I think if folks don't know the podcast, they should go listen to this one episode. Um, it's a really popular podcast. It's I'm, I'm very basic in this way, but it's called Armchair Expert. Uh, if anybody knows Kristen Bell of Frozen fame, it's her husband, Dax Shepard, and then um, one of their best friends, Monica Padman, who hosts it. And it's funny, and it's vulnerable, and it's enlightening. And it's about, you know, psychology of being human, why we do the things we do. It's he talks to a lot of uh, famous people basically about that that journey of fame and like, okay, you wanted to be famous. You wanted to be rich and famous. Did it solve all your problems? Spoiler alert. The answer is always no. Uh, (laughs) But it's really, really good. And if anybody hasn't listened, there is um, a fabulous episode with a guy named Phil Stutz. And it, it is a recent episode within the last couple months. And Phil Stutz is also in a documentary on Netflix that's called Stutz. And he is the, I don't know if he's a psychiatrist or psychologist of Jonah Hill, the actor. And um, Jonah does this whole documentary about him. And it's just beautiful and lovely. And his episode on armchair is really, really good. He's He's got some fascinating concepts about psychology and about the way our brain works and yeah, super interesting. Huh. I will have to check that out. I've heard of the podcast, mm-hmm. but have not listened to that episode. So thank you mm-hmm. so much for so sharing good. that as well, the documentary on Netflix. Now, mm-hmm. if you could sit down and have a conversation with someone mm-hmm. who you would love to learn from, who would it be and why? Mm-hmm. I think I have to go back to like the OG woman who – got me interested, really, again, putting pieces together as I look back, like, I'm sure this person had such an impact on why I am where I am now, why I'm so interested in, like, personal development and self-growth and, you know, enhancing well-being and things like that, which is the queen herself, Oprah. So I think I would go back and talk to Oprah. <laughs> I listened or I watched her show probably every day, Monday through Friday with, I have a, an older sister. And then with my mom, we would watch it every day and laugh and cry with the show. And it was just so good. And we we always wanted to go see her live. We were ne- never able to do that. But uh, yeah, so she holds a, a place in my heart for sure. I also love Oprah, and I used to always talk about her episodes with my grandma. I did see her in um, at the Saddle Dome when she came through Calgary, sitting up very high, but she still like really commanded the room. It was quite remarkable. Yeah, the room of the, the Saddle room, Dome, right? The room. Like, how powerful yes. is that? It you can amazing. make the Saddle Dome feel like a room. Yes, <laughs> like she you're pretty did. good at what you do. Yeah, she just pulls you in, and I have to tell you, so yeah. I. I recorded a podcast episode earlier today and it's with an amazing woman named Katie. Um, And how I'm connected to her is my parents and her parents are university friends that are still friends. So that that's the connection. But Katie was on Oprah. Wow. Very cool. So you'll have to check out that episode with Katie (laughs) to learn a little bit more about the story. And I got her to share how that kind of came to be, which is very interesting. Um, But she really spoke to the fact that Oprah is just a really good person. And uh, just the way she was and was with people um, with Katie's experience, she just had has the utmost respect um, for her and how gracious she is and what a good person. Love to hear it from someone who's met her in person, you know, sometimes you think someone is going to be, and then it's like, Oh, I met her and I don't know. So it's so good to hear. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You picked a good one. And it's just so funny. You said that because I just had this conversation. So yeah. yeah. And I wanted to ask you too. So I'm of the belief that just education is a part of everything that we do. So how we work, and play and um, build relationships with people. So do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom to share that could empower or support people with their own teaching and learning journeys? Hmm. I think for me, it's just this like power of intentionality 
you know, like making sure that we're really living our lives the way we want to live them, not just on autopilot. And we've spoken about this, you know, throughout our conversation, but it can just be so easy to fall into this trap of like, oh, my gut's telling me one thing, but no, I'm not going to do that because what will people think and what, you know, I'll get judged and this and that. And it's like, it all is going to come to a head at some point. We're going to, we're all going to meet ourselves at some point and, and be the accumulation of all of our choices. And I think a lot of us in ways don't always feel like we have a choice about a lot of things, but so just this reminder of like living intentionally, of recognizing that actually you do have choices and every day you're making thousands of choices. And a lot of those choices folks are making are just autopilot. Oh, I'm choosing this because, because what will people think? Or I'm choosing this because I have to, I don't, I don't have a choice. I have to do this because, right, we come up with our own reasons and rhymes and reasons for why that is. But there is an opportunity every day to make conscious choices, whether that's choices to change things or improve things or, yeah. So just recognizing the choices that you do make and, and maybe being a little bit more intentional in them. And I know that my own practice of mindfulness has really helped me, help me be more aware of those choices that I'm making and, and make choices that when they add up, I mean, on their own, choices feel really little, really, really little right? Am I going to, am I going to go for that walk today or am I not? Am I going to call that person or not? Am I going to meditate today or not? Tiny, tiny, tiny little choices, but they add up in a big way. You don't call that person for two years. Do you have a relationship with them? <laughs> you don't move your body for two years. How are you feeling? Where, what's your blood pressure like? <laughs> You know, how are your muscles doing, your bones, right? You don't meditate for two straight years and have, having maybe done it before then, all of a sudden you're reactive and irritated and annoyed and not present for your life. So yeah, just intentionality of choices every day. I love that message. Thank you so much for sharing that, Trish. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your time and your story and all your words of wisdom with us today. If our listeners are wanting to learn more about you and all the things that you're up to, where are the best places to find you? Yeah, best place, probably just my website, um, Trish Tutton. Tutton is T-U-T-T-O-N.com. And then, of course, I'm I'm like every millennial. I mean, I'm on social media. <laughs> I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm not on TikTok yet. I'm really, I'm really trying not to succumb to that. So yeah, website, Facebook, mostly Instagram is where you can find me as a classic millennial. <laughs> well, I will make sure to share all that in the show notes. And I will warn you that you will be on TikTok for this episode. So Perfect. there you go. <laughs> thank I'll you. make my debut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So thank you so much for joining me, Trish. It was so nice to chat with you and to learn from you today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the People Teaching People podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Fesh. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Tiana Fesh and on my website, tianafesh.com. I would love it if you would subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Your feedback and support are so appreciated. See you next time where we will continue to explore all things teaching and learning together. 